Hey guys, you're listening to an incredible message from Pastor Brett called Inner Strength, right here on the Engage Network. Well, hey, it's a good day to be in church, and I'm just going to decide that when we get out of here, the weather's going to be good, and the rain will stop, and the sun will shine, and all those things, because we're people of faith, am I right? Uh, I mean, you're here at 1230 on a Sunday, so we're people of faith. Uh, Hey, we're kicking off a brand new series called Best Summer Ever, and I'm super excited about the possibilities, and to be honest, it has nothing to do with the weather. Uh, It has everything about to do with Jesus at work in your life, and uh, so I'm excited for this 1230. Can we just give it up for all the volunteers and all the production team and all the team that work hard, three services on a Sunday, they just hear all day, the band and all those people that just hang out, and Brendan's got a broken arm, and he's just singing his little heart out up there, and you know, pretending to clap and all those things, so that's, that's always super fun. Uh, but hey, I, I don't know if you enjoyed that summer Sabbath last week, the week off. And I don't know if did anyone watch it online. Anyone here watching it online? Well, 1,100 people watched it online, uh, so that was a great thing. And uh, so it's super cool to see people. And some of them came today after they watched it online. They came for the first time. A really cool thing that happened was Jill was in Kelowna, and, and she was watching online. And a girl came on, and she just said, "Hey, you know, uh, we'd love to meet you in real life." And that girl ended up coming to church today. So I think it's super cool when uh, we get to do some things, be a little creative and a little, get a little rest and recharge and all those kinds of things in, but it's always fun uh, to do this together, even if it's, you know, the few of us here today, uh, but that's all right, and this is round four for me. I actually started preaching yesterday at Kingdom Church, so this is the fourth fourth, fourth message of the weekend, which is just getting us warmed up because myself and Jesse and Brendan are heading to Slovenia on Friday, and I think we're preaching like 12 times in nine days, so uh, this is just warm up. This is just getting, just getting ready to go. So pray for us as we're gone. Pastor Jeremy will be speaking next week, and I'll be back to uh, via video to preach uh, the week after that. So it's going to be amazing. We're kicking off the series, Best Summer Ever. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. It makes me feel so much better. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. It says this, When I think of all this, I talk to, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Today I want to talk to us about the idea of inner strength, the inner strength that is found, not only the kind of inner strength that resides within us, but the inner strength that's found that comes through a one-on-one personal relationship with Jesus that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Last week with the summer Sabbath, we ended up having a barbecue. Uh, on the Saturday, we had a whole bunch of people over from Stony Plain, and I decided, you know, I'm going to try something new. I'm going to smoke a brisket. I've never done this before in my life, but I figured, you know what? You know, the best way to try something is to have the pressure of having 20 people coming over to eat it, right? Like, it's just, I, you know, it's just the best way to do it. I bought a master class. I watched so much YouTube. I got up at 4 a.m., and this isn't like an autumn, like, you know, no shame uh, in Phil's game, but this isn't an automatic pellet feeder. This is me tending a fire for 11 hours to make sure that we have the right temperature and it's we're smoking it properly with the right wood, like the real deal, the real McCoy. So I do this and uh, I, I smoke this brisket, <clears throat> but I didn't just smoke a brisket. We had brisket, ribs. We had uh, in the other chamber, we had the, uh, a chicken, a beer can chicken being cooked. Then we had a home fries going on my, on my burner and it's all going at the exact same time. And just before everyone comes over, that's the 
the that's the moment where I start getting a little nervous because there's like so much stuff to be done. I've got no counter space, so I've got folding chairs like set up, and I'm trying to make sure that everything is happening at the right time. And so when I start getting nervous like that, and like maybe like panic mode starts setting in, I don't like get like nervous, nervous. I become commander in chief. General of all. So I just start barking out commands like, and I learned that that's not a great way to stay married. That's what I've, that's what I've learned. Like, it's just not a good idea for me to just bark out commands like that and just, you know, it's, Des doesn't like it. And so, uh, but that's what I do. I just like, come on, they're coming, the people, the people are coming. They must be fed. And I'm not going to lie, the brisket was perfect. So it was amazing and everything worked out. I mean, really, it was, uh, it was a work of art. Maybe I should retire now. I did one. It was awesome. I'm just done now. I'm just done. I'm finished. But what I realized was that, you know what? The, the chaos that I was feeling wasn't actually happening in real life. It was just me looking at the situation going, oh, I've got all how am I going to do all these? All these and the chaos started happening within me. I think Erwin McManus articulates this best when he says, the world within you will create the world around you. The chaos that I was feeling on the inside was creating chaos on the outside. And I wonder how many of us are going through struggles, we're wrestling with things, and, and we feel like our world is a mess and it's chaos. I wonder if our world's less of a mess than our heart. And here's the other crazy thing. We've been given this incredible creative ability to create things. And so we creatively create chaos in our world because it's what we're feeling on the inside. You've heard of people who self-sabotage. That that's actually what happens when we allow the chaos of our heart to spill into the chaos of our everyday lives. So the Apostle Paul, writing this letter in Ephesians 3, is writing to the church in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is a church that he started. It's one of the first churches he started. He stayed there for three years. He stayed there for a while. He was normally traveled, but he put roots down there, which means he's not writing to a nameless, faceless crowd of people of who he just leads. He, he's writing to his friends and family. We have to remember the Apostle Paul was a single man. He did not have a spouse. He did not have kids. So anywhere he went, he poured his entire heart and soul. So this was literally the extension of his family and friends. So he's writing this letter, and he's in prison, and he's and under house arrest and he's getting beaten and he's going through all this suffering and, and these believers are suffering and he says thinking about all these things when I think of all this I fall to my knees and I pray to the father the creator of heaven and earth I fall to my knees and pray now that's a normal picture for us right when I was a little kid and we and I learned how to pray at night my, we would like kneel by the side of the bed and we say now I lay me down to sleep I pray dear Lord my soul to keep, and if I die before I wake, I pray to your Lord, my soul you'll take. That's creepy, man. Like, that is weird. It's creepy. It's a little dark. Like, it makes me a little nervous. Like, what do you mean, <laughs> uh, if you'll take my soul? Uh, I'm a child, age of understanding. Anyways, there's a whole theological concept there. But, <clears throat> we, we, you know, we are used to this picture of people falling on their knees, you know? Uh, there's this, used to be this old school Christian t-shirt. And it was like a picture of somebody on their knees and they had like ripped holes in their jeans. And it's like, you'll know if I'm a, you know if I'm a true believer by the holes in my jeans. And it's like, that's such a weird Christian t-shirt. This is actually happening. I mean, maybe we should bring them back. Like there's, like, it's like wolf shirts, but they're like praying 
holy knee shirts. You know, it's like we understand this idea, but the truth is when the Apostle Paul is writing this, that wasn't a familiar concept, falling on your knees to pray. They normally prayed standing up or pacing and walking, and, and, and that's how they would pray. Uh, if you want to get a, a mental picture, you can look at like the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, how they go up and they stand there. It's not falling to your knees and pray. So when he writes, when I think of all these things, when I think about the suffering, when I think about the pain, when I think about what you're going through, when I think about what you're living through, and he sees the faces and the names of his friends and his family in his mind, he falls to his knees out of desperation in a complete act of surrender. He says, God, I pray that you would give them from your unlimited resources in heaven, inner strength through your spirit. He's not saying this vaguely. He's crying out in desperation for those people, but now preserved in scripture for us, that we would learn to walk in and carry this inner strength through the Spirit of God. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit, sometimes we get a little nervous or we, don't, we have different ideas of what that means. But when you actually look at the origin story, you'll find in Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the Bible, the beginning of history, the beginning of the world and the universe as we know it, the role and the function of the Holy Spirit is to take our chaos and to pull it into order. You'll find in Genesis chapter 1, and, and if you really want to know how it went down, you read Genesis chapter 1 in the Old Testament, you read Colossians chapter 1 in the New Testament, you will discover that this is an instance where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all present at one time, where the Heavenly Father has this idea for creation, shares it with the Son, the Son, Jesus, speaks it into existence, and it becomes pulled into reality through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was brooding over the waters. Whether the earth was, formless, was, was void and without form, it was brooding. And at the word of Jesus, it pulled the chaos into order. The word for brooding and for, uh, for the, void and the, uh, the void and the formlessness was literally chaos. So the, he was hovering over the chaos, and Jesus spoke life, and he pulled it into order. When we discover and we can tap into this, this kind of inner strength, what happens is Jesus comes and brings peace and hope and life into our life. He brings our chaos back into order through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we think about this prayer. I don't know about you, but I start wondering and asking questions. What on earth is inner strength? Like, what is this inner strength that Paul's praying for. Don't I already have some level of inner strength? Is there more available? Like, what does inner strength look like? Does it look like confidence? I mean, Brendan's got enough for everybody. That's true. Does it look like swagger where I'm, you know, where I'm just dripping, like I'm just swaggy? Does it look like boldness? Does it look like courage? What on earth is inner strength? Uh, if you've got your YouVersion Bible app today, I've actually included the entire definition of the word right on there for you, along with all your Bible verses. If you've got a hard copy, how many hard copy Bibles do we have today? One. End times, end times. <laughs> wow. Uh, that, hey, that's great. You have the YouVersion Bible app. You can pull it open because uh, I literally broke down this entire word. What I want to know is what on earth is inner strength? You know, what happens sometimes in Bible translation, we get a phrase like inner strength, and, and, and we just think that that's all it is. It's just this vague phrase. Well, the translators do the best job that they can do, but the Greek words have so much more life and vibrancy to them, and there's a whole definition that we can actually begin to pull the layers off and understand the full picture of what this word is. So if it's okay with you, I'm just going to dive in and help us understand what this inner strength looks like. Are you cool with that? Are you all right with that? Let's do it. Only Brendan. Okay, wonderful. Come on, 1230. 
Should I go home? Should we play the video from earlier? <laughs> Put it on loop. Put it on loop. Can we just pick it up where I left off? I'm just going to go. Uh, okay, here we go. The word inner strength. What on earth is inner strength? What does it look like? How does it function? There are actually six sub-definitions of the word inner strength. That's right. Six sub-definitions that help us fully understand what it is that the Apostle Paul is praying for, that we would tap into the unlimited resources that are found in Jesus. If you're with me, say, I'm still here. Okay, perfect. The first definition. First of all, we need to understand that the Greek word that we're talking about is a word dunamis. Turn to somebody and say dunamis. You can now speak Greek. Congratulations. Dunamis. It's actually spelled dynamis, but it's pronounced dunamis, and it's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive. It's power. Inner strength actually means inner strength, power, and ability. There's an explosive capability within this inner strength. That if you could tap into this, you will find yourself literally exploding from the inside out. And for the first time, living up to your true potential. Because you, uh, you can only tap into and unlock your full potential when you live with Jesus. The first definition of the word dunamis is inherent power or power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. We're like, Huh? Literally, all it means is simply I have the ability within my strength and capacity to lift up this mic stand. I have a measure of human strength or capability. I could, you know, I have a measure of human strength and capability to speak and talk to you today. That's my natural capability. So the first idea of our inner strength is that we've got an inner capacity to just do what we're created to do, our natural talents, gifts, and abilities. The second definition, though, is the power for performing miracles. So a part of this total package of inner strength on top of our inner, uh, our inner natural ability, talents, gifts, all those things, is what I will call the super on our natural, this ability to uh, perform miracles. And it doesn't happen through us. It's the Holy Spirit at work through our lives that will do the miraculous things in us, through us, and around us. The third definition is a moral power and excellence of soul. Moral power and excellence of soul. You're like, what does that mean? It means character. Because the truth is, Jesus cares more about who you are than what you do. Because if you follow him one step at a time and you develop who you are, all the things that you want to do for him, you will do before you even realize, like you have already done them by the time you realize that you're doing them. Where we get in trouble is that we take our natural aptitudes, our gifts, talents, and our abilities, we decide what we're going to do for God instead of with God, we make it happen, and then we stumble, we trip, and we fall, and we get crushed under the weight of our calling. Because we do not have the character to cash the check on our calling. Now, I will also admit that one of the scariest prayers that we can pray is asking the Lord to develop our character. Because you get what you ask for. And so if you're not a patient person, you're like, God, please help me develop my character. Guess what? Things slow down. And I'm not a patient person. So that's the worst. And I'm like, hey, Lord, how about you speed it up? And he's like, how about you learn patience, champ? <clears throat> and he begins working. So I'm just going to say, if you, if you pray and ask the Lord to help you develop character, 
just be prepared that you will get what you asked for and that things will happen in your life. Now, the good news on the flip side is that when Jesus starts showing up through the power of his Holy Spirit, you'll, we'll, we'll, we'll fast forward around. This is bonus content for you, not found in any other service except for this one. In Galatians chapter 5, you'll find a list of the fruits of the Spirit, which is the evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, which is love, joy, patience, long-suffering, all of these things. So the good news is as you get strengthened by Jesus, he actually begins naturally transforming you from the inside out, developing your character. So when we pray for this supernatural inner strength, he actually starts working on this before you start working on it. The next one is the power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth. I don't know if you know this, but you have a rich dad. Not your, maybe you're an earthly dad, but your heavenly father is rich. <clears throat> and there's like a difference between like being rich and being wealthy, you know? Like if you're rich, I feel like you're flashy and, and, and you show everything else. When you're wealthy, we don't even know how rich you actually are. Like Warren Buffett lives in the same house his entire life. Rich. When, like, or wealthy. Well, rich guys, lots of flash, lots of dash, and they could lose it tomorrow. But what we have is we can be able to walk in a power and influence which belongs to riches and wealth. You know, sometimes you can just tell like when a powerful person kind of walks in the room. Like they just got this confidence. They just got this ability. The truth is that's what God has intended for you is this confidence that comes out of knowing that wherever God gives you a vision, there will be provision. That he will supply. Now, this doesn't only apply to ministry. That's what we've done for a long time. We said that only applies to ministry. That's not actually true. This applies to every area of our lives. In your personal life, in your relationships, you can be rich in relationship. You can be rich in family. You can be rich in, in your business. And, and not only... <laughs> And, and, and rich is such a shallow and empty word, but I'm really talking about an abundance, about a spirit of abundance where that God can actually give you this, like this is, this is literally what we're talking about in the inner strength. So if God has given you a capability to do some sort of business and he's given you this idea, and if you trust him and you feel like he's calling you forward, then because you have this inner strength, you have the ability to literally follow him one step at a time. And as you follow him, you discover, uh, Zechariah says that we do not despise the day of small beginnings. So what happens is we begin to take these small faith steps in trusting Jesus in every area of our life, including our business life, including our occupation, including our career, and then we start to take these steps. But then we come to a moment where there's a, a large step required, where there's a large step of faith that's required. Uh, you know, people have been asking me about the building, you know, the new building, and people are like, are you freaking out? Like, how's this going to happen with the building? Are we okay? I'm going to say this. Uh, we had an amazing Sunday a couple weeks ago at Horizon Stage. And we had over $50,000 in commitments that day and over $30,000 come in that day, which is awesome. Aside from two of the other donations that, that happened before, we're almost at $200,000 of a $300,000 goal, which is crazy. Like, it's craziness that this, this little ragtag group of people could do that. And you know what? And there's other people saying, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm going to do mine later. I'm like, I'm not worried. And the, you know, just to put, I don't even know what people give. So you could tell me and you can make it. I don't know. I have no idea. I just know the total number because I, anyways, it's a whole thing. I just don't want to know. The, the reality is it's between you and God. But I'm not afraid of the situation. I'm not afraid of having to go to city council. I'm not afraid of any of those things because guess what? I took small steps of faith in my journey that have accumulated and added up so that now I can take medium size and I take medium large and I take medium extra large because sometimes it takes a little extra faith to get to a large. And then now I can take a large step of faith because the faithfulness of the goodness of God has been proven season after season, time after time. And so I have an inner strength and courage to say, hey, if God called us forward, we're going to get there. Yeah. 
and I don't know how, and I don't know when. I know, but because I have a moral uh, power and an excellence of soul, which means I have the character developed, it also means I did my homework, I did the due diligence, I did all the appropriate work that's required. Sometimes you want a breakthrough, but you haven't done the work that is required for God to give you the breakthrough. You're like, but that's a works mentality. No, it's wisdom. That's not a works mentality. It's partnership. God called, this is all bonus content, by the way. This is all partnership, right? So this is what, this is literally the practice. This is why we come to 1230. <clears throat> I was going to play it on the video. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> this is partnership because we think that I have, if, if I have to do anything, then it's any less of a miracle. I'm going to drop this mic and break it here if you keep thinking that way. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. God gave you a natural ability and capability and capacity so you could do something with it. And then he sprinkles the super on your natural and he puts all the extra stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus salt bay. You know, it's like. <clears throat> Truth. Uh. So you can have a natural capacity and ability. He's gifted you with that. He gave it to you on purpose. He wants you to use it. And then we partner with him and we follow him one step at a time. And partnership often looks like me taking all the steps so that I can establish a track record of trust so I can follow him so that I know when it's time to take the big step. Not only have I done the due diligence in my life, not only have I done the due diligence in my work, but I've done the due diligence in my heart to know that his faithfulness and his goodness will not abandon me. That's definition four. We got two more. Okay, number five. Truth. Power and resources arising from numbers. There's strength in numbers. You're like, hold on. We're talking about inner strength. Is there more of me? Is there more than one of me that lives in here? No. <clears throat> but this is talking about an inner strength that comes in community. There's a comfort to my soul that comes in knowing that I do not live alone. And there's a power that arises from numbers. That's why we gather together. That's why somebody asked me, like, are we going to do more of this, like, the summer Sabbath, more of the video stuff? No, I'm not going to enable you to stay at home. <clears throat> we did it for a purpose, for a reason. And now we're back because Hebrews 10.25 also says, do not forsake the gathering together. Because there's something that happens here. Did you know that you don't come to church for you? You don't. You thought you did. You thought you came to get something, but that's not true. You don't come to church for you. Number one, we come to church for Jesus. We come to church to lift up and magnify and worship the wonderful, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus through which we have the breath in our lungs and the capacity for our heart to beat through which there's wind and there's rain and there's grass. We live in a state of common grace, which is a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. But every single day we can wake up and we take a breath. We can thank God that we have some air to breathe up in this place. So we come here to lift up his name. The Bible says he's enthroned in the praises of his people. Now, the interesting thing about that portion of scripture was it was talking about a corporate gathering of people. People. It wasn't talking singular. It was talking plural. His praise. When we begin to praise, something begins to shift in the atmosphere because what happens is Jesus becomes king. And when, the, when we get together and we praise and we enthrone him and he becomes king and he becomes large and in charge, then there's a personal impact that happens. But it comes out of a corporate worship. 
There's something special that happens. That's why you can worship hard all you want at home. It's not the same as when you gather together because there's something that happens when our faith gets joined together and his presence comes and meets with his people. So there's strength that comes in numbers. Now, here's the second thing. You, don't, you, came, you didn't come for yourself. You come for Jesus. The other person that you come for, the people that you come for, is the people sitting around you. You're like, I don't even know the person sitting near me. Well, that's on you, not on me. The power of community is that when I come in this room and I know who I'm sitting near and I know who, what is, why is that chair like that, by the way? It's really driving me insane. <clears throat> oh, okay. Oh, foot surgery. That's fair. Um, but I know the people that are around me. It was driving me nuts. Uh, I know the people that are around me and they come into this room and maybe I'm coming in and I'm just feeling down and I, you know, the rain's got me down. And I just don't feel like I have the strength or the capacity to, to get through. But I came, you know, you probably came out of some sense of duty or obligation. You dragged yourself in the door and you said, ah, oh, maybe this will make me feel better. And you get in this room <clears throat> and the music starts going and the band's not even playing your song that you like. You've been waiting for them to play Not Today for six months and they haven't played it. And you're like, <laughs> I was like, not today, not today. And it's not today, actually, that they're singing the song. And um, <clears throat> that was a pretty good joke that it went over everyone's hand. But. It's fine, okay. Tough crowd up here. Um, again, we could have played the video. Uh, and you come in the room, and you kind of look around, and you see there's Phil over there, and you know what Phil's going through because you know Phil, and you know what he's dealing with, and you see Craig, and you see Larry, and you see Chris and, and Mary, and you just see people, and, and you, they're worshiping, and they're praising, but you know their story because you know them, and you know the backdrop, and, and you know what they're wrestling through, and you know what they're fighting through, and you're like, you know what? My bad attitude pales in comparison to what they're walking through, and they're up there praising. If they can do it, I can do it too, and it starts to cause faith to rise up within you because you, you see somebody else, and you go, you know what? If they can praise in the midst of their storm, I'm going to get up and lift up the name of Jesus in the midst of my storm. So you thought you came for you, but you came to pull somebody else out. Did you know that your praise becomes somebody else's breakthrough? You thought that you just came to sing a good song. No, you came to help pull somebody up out of the miry clay. And can I tell you this? If you're sitting here and you don't know the other people's stories in the room, once again, that's on you. It's not on me. But that's the power of community. Could we be better at creating an environment to connect, sure. We could do all sorts of programming things and we'll commit to you to get better, but we gotta take responsibility as a community of faith because you know what? I find inner strength and resource from the power arising from numbers. And if I choose, like if you choose to come to church and you feel like you're alone, again, you're doing that by choice. I'm going to take it one step further because it's 1230. If you feel like your demographic is not represented in our church, and I'm saying this for the people listening online too, if, if God called us to be a family and families sit together around a family table with generations. We're a generational church. We have, we have young, we have old, we have everything in between. There might not be many of certain age groups, but it doesn't matter. We all sit at the same table. So if, if you're young, you're like, ah, I just want to hang out with young people. Get over yourself. Same thing is true for every age bracket. Oh, I can't hang out with other people. They're too young. Get over yourself. 
This is community. We're, we're called out. We find an inner strength by breaking down our own barriers. Did you know that you're living in isolation or could be living alone because you choose to leave the walls up? So you're actually limiting the inner strength that's available to you through Jesus because you refuse to tap into this aspect of that strength. Last one, last part of this definition is power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts. <clears throat> Meaning that if God is for us, who could be against us? Romans chapter 8. Meaning that when God rolls in, he doesn't roll in alone. He rolls in with the hosts of heavenly armies. And that when you roll in, you walk with that same kind of power and authority. So you're not alone. I want to very quickly, because I know time is short, and you want to stay here all day with me. Uh, I want to give us a case study of what this actually looks like in the Bible. We're going to roll it back to the Old T, which is the Old Testament. We're going to go to Judges chapter 6. Uh, it's going to be awesome. By way of context, I want to uh, highlight what's going on before we jump into the moment. What's happening in this portion of Scripture is that the Israelites are living scared, and they're living terrified, and they're living afraid. They're literally living in caves, and they're living in holes. Now, I don't know what it means to live in a hole, but they were living there. <laughs> Because their neighbors were called Midianites, and what they would do is the Midianites were like the original bully, and they would come in, punch you in the teeth, and take all your harvest, take all your crop, they'd take your goat, they'd take your cow, I don't know how they stole your cow, but they would take that, and they would take your wife too. Like, they would just take, they just took, it's like a country song, they would just take everything. <laughs> they would just take everything, and, and so... The Israelites ended up getting literally beaten down and afraid that they would live in terror, so they would hide away, and they literally lived their lives, lives hiding. Gideon, this guy Gideon, just decides, you know what, family's hungry, I'm going to need to make some grain. And Gideon, if you've grown up in church, Gideon gets a bad rap, because people think he's a coward, people think he's afraid, people think he's a nervous Nelly, people think that he just is whatever you think that he is. But the truth is, I want you to just maybe see something else about the story of Gideon. In the story of Gideon, the narrative of Gideon, the historical narrative of Gideon, what we discover is that this guy, when everyone else was hiding in a hole, got out of a hole. Now, he went to hide in another one, but he went over to another one, a, grain, a wine press, so he could thresh grain. Because while everyone else was hiding, he was making lunch. Because somebody had to feed the people. So he gets over there, and he gets to the other hole, and guess what? Jesus shows up. You're like, Jesus in the Old Testament? Yes, it's called a Christophany. It's when Jesus literally shows up in the Old Testament. How do we know that it's actually Jesus? Well, theologians do the study, and then the translators write this word, the Lord. Anytime you see the Lord, and it appears in the Old Testament, and it appears in a human form, it's most likely Jesus Christ showing up in the Old Testament. So Gideon gets in a conversation with the Lord in a hole while he's threshing grain. Judges chapter 6, verse 14. Chris is going to hook it up for you on the screen. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. Now this is the way that we know that Gideon is not a coward because he's having a conversation with the Lord Jesus Christ who's probably glowing, and he talks back. <laughs> but Lord... Gideon re replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. Can I tell you, Gideon didn't stumble upon that, that thought by himself. That's something that was passed down. That was a family trait that said, my clan is the weakest, and I'm the smallest, and I'm the worst. It was passed down generationally, probably came from his parents, probably came from his grandparents, wrestling with their own identity, putting their trust in themselves instead of trust in God. And they said, hey, we are the least, and we are the worst. And God's like, you're talking to me, literally. 
Snap out of it. So God pushes back on Gideon. He says, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. You notice he doesn't even dignify or justify his ramblings. Doesn't even acknowledge the lie that was spoken because it's a lie that was spoken. There's somebody in this room or there's multiple people in this room that you have lived with this lie that has been passed down through the generations that say you do not measure up, you are not enough, you are not worth it, and you are not worthy of love, and you're certainly not able to accomplish anything that God has called you to. And can I tell you that on a rainy afternoon in Spruce Grove, God is breaking that lie, and in fact, he's not even breaking it. He's not even respecting it. He's not acknowledging it. He's just letting me tell you that you need to also disregard that information. This is what God says. I am with you. I will be with you. And you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Now, literally, this entire definition of inner strength is found in this case study. Because I don't know if you caught it, but in the first verse of 14, it says, go with the strength you have. Gideon, before he knew it, already had the natural gift, strength, aptitude, and ability to lead an army to crush the Midianites. He had the natural ability. He already had it. He didn't know he had it. He wasn't aware that he had it, but he was already created with it. You're like, that's very humanistic. You're putting more faith in your natural ability. No, I'm just telling you that God handcrafted you. When he says that he knit you together in your mother's womb, he wasn't joking with you. He was being serious when he says in Ephesians 2.10 that you are his, work, his uh, masterpiece in divine workmanship. He's not joking. He literally gave you the natural gifts, talents, and abilities to do the very things that he created you to do. You've already got it. What you need to do is have a one-on-one encounter with Jesus so he can unlock the potential that you don't believe is already there. (laughs) You've already got it. Some of us are struggling. We're going, no, I don't have it. I can't do it. I don't have the capacity. I don't have the strength. Did he call you to it? Yeah. Then you've already got it. He's helping you unlock it. It's already within you. He's extracting the goal within you. That's why character is important. We know that Gideon had the character because he was the only guy that got up and got out of the other hole to feed everybody else. We know that there's a supernatural element because he's talking to Jesus himself and the wind itself was supernatural. We know that he has this connection to this rich, richness and wealth because while they were broke and while they were starving, while they were hungry, God provided a way that they would never be hungry again. We know that there's power and resources arising from numbers because there was a natural army that rose up around Gideon to conquer the Midianites. And we know that the natural army didn't roll in on their own strength. They rolled in with the forces of heaven. In this moment, God says, go with the strength you have. You've already got it. I'm unlocking it right now. God says the same thing to you. You're worried. You're nervous that you don't have the capacity. He's unlocking it in you right now if you would only trust him. And then the last line in verse 16 says, you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. I'm going to give you one minute to guess who the one man he was actually fighting was. himself. He wiped out hundreds and thousands, but the whole time, am I enough? Can I do it? Yeah. So the 
unlimited resources available in Jesus, that inner strength is unlocking in you right now. He was wrestling with himself the entire time. You might even have been wondering, is it ever going to feel like I'm the right person or I have what it takes? Yeah, it will. But in the midst of the greatest battles of your life, know that you're not the only person who has doubts. But there's an inner strength that's available that's unlocking things that you didn't think you had. There's strength in numbers. John 14, 23 puts it this way. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and, and we, meaning God and the father and Jesus will come and make our home with each of them. What? Yeah, God's and Jesus are going to come live in your heart when you invite him in. That's why we say invite Jesus into your heart because we mean it for reals. And you need a two-bedroom. You need a two-bedroom. <laughs> two I just want two-bedroom. Father and son. You're like, I don't, how does that work? Super, super on the natural. He comes and lives. See, we've made this mistake of thinking that, that Jesus lives in church, like in the box, like he lives in this square room. He doesn't. He lives in this square heart. <clears throat> he lives right here. So we can confidently say that we're never alone because there's strength in numbers, because Jesus abides and lives in us and with us. And through us, he continues in this next verse in the Apostle Paul's prayer. It says, Ephesians 3, 17, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. As you trust him. The truth is, most of us need to Marie Kondo our hearts. We need to get rid of the baggies, get rid of the junk. Because we've asked Jesus to move in, but we asked him to move into the guest room with all our crap. And he's like... I want to come and take up residence. You know, when a paramedic comes on a car accident scene, they clear and they secure a site and they say, give us some room to work. I just wonder if you've actually given Jesus some room to work in here. Because I know that there's times that I try and control how he works, when he works, what I want him to work on. It don't work that way. If he ain't Lord at all, of all, he ain't Lord at all. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but that requires some heavy lifting. Is that works mentality? It's not works mentality. It's me taking care of business and trusting Jesus and trusting that I don't need that anger in me anymore. See, for some of us, we hold on to an anger so we can go to that place that if we need to take vengeance or if we need to get after somebody, we just keep that pain and that anger inside just in case we need it and it makes us feel safe. Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength and shield. I, uh, I trust him with all my heart. If you trust the Lord with all your heart, you don't need to defend yourself. He will defend you. You don't need to hold on to the anger to keep you strong. You don't need to hold on to the heartbreak to keep you grounded. That's a brokenness mentality, and God's putting the pieces back together, so stop leaving broken pieces out. Wow, this is a little luxury. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart, not some of my heart, not two-thirds of my heart, not three-quarters of my heart, not one quarter, not the parts that I want to give him. I trust him with all of my heart. As I trust him with all of my heart, my heart is filled with joy, and I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. You're like, I'm not a singer. No, but your happiness is showing. Your joy is showing. 
One of the things I love the most in our New Believers Bible studies, when people accept Jesus into their life, give them three weeks and their whole face changes. No joke. And they, we start hearing, everyone at work says I look different. Yeah, you do. It's called the joy of the Lord, and it's finally showing on your face. He begins to round off the rough edges when we just let him in. The Lord is my strength and my shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out.